You know, we're starting a sermon series today entitled Direction. And I want to share with you kind of what God put on my heart for this series. It's direction for us as a church. Direction for us as families within the church and individuals within the church. Because the truth is, God desires for us to make progress. And there's something very, very gratifying about making progress, isn't there? There's something also very demoralizing about a lack of progress. See, we want to advance. We want to progress. We want to continually, continuously make headway. And, and I want to I remind you that, that to make headway, we need, to, we need to be the people that God has called us to be, to be the leaders God has called us to be. So much of this sermon series will be about leadership, but not leadership the way the world defines it, but leadership for the kingdom, to make an impact for the kingdom, to make an impact for your, for your children, to make an impact for your family, and ultimately for the church of Jesus Christ. And so... Today, I didn't intend to talk about this topic right up front, but the Lord kept bringing it to me, and, uh, and, and I see why. Because in first and second service, I asked this question, and I'm going to ask it again right, right now. I'm going to ask you to first, before I ask the question, to please bow your heads and close your eyes. And the reason I ask that is because I don't want you to be concerned about who's looking or who might know or who might see you or, 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 or who else is raising their hand. But, but my question is this, how many of you could use some encouragement right now in your life? If you would raise your hand, I, I'm going to pray for you. Father, you see every hand raised and you see every heart that needs filling. And I pray that you would be the encourager that your word promises you are. I pray, God, that you would give us a different perspective, change our vantage point, and help us to see through your eyes. Give us an eternal vision, Lord, of what you are up to and what you can do and a hope, Lord, that is undaunting. Father, I pray that you would begin, Father, to infuse in our spirits a confidence in you that you will complete the good work you have started. You won't leave us halfway and you won't abandon us, but instead you'll see us through, that you can make everything and anything new. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. What you may not know is that I ask that in each service, and in each service more than 50% of the people raise their hand. I don't say that to impress you or to, or to make you feel like, man, maybe I should have raised my hand or why did I raise my hand or why is there so much discouragement? I'm here to tell you that you've come to the right place because God has put on my heart the message of encouragement for you. And God always speaks out of the need of his people. And though my thoughts were, I'll preach it at the end of the, of the series, God said, no, I want you to preach it at the beginning of the series. He even impacted me two, what, two nights ago with, a, with, with an awesome experience in the hotel room there in, uh, in Lubbock, Texas. And some might say, well, what was it? I was, I, was spiritually being, I was spiritually attacked in Lubbock. And it's not because of Lubbock. It just so happened, you say, well, what's a spiritual attack? What's a spiritual encounter? You ever had a dream where you know it's not just a dream, but there's something going on? It's so vivid, and you can't even tell if you're sleeping or awake, and, and you kind of feel like you're a, a, asleep, but then you wake up, and you continue with the same thoughts and the same feeling, and, and it's just impressing upon you something. And, and this is what it is. I had a, a very demoralizing dream. Not only was it demoralizing, it was discouraging and very saddening. And I woke up in the, and this, this, this spiritual dilemma was still happening to the point that my chest felt tight. I felt, I felt, I felt very sad. So I began to try to fall asleep again, but in my sleep, I did what I always do, and that's press into God. And I began to say, Lord, I need you. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. 
And this is a big deal because I wasn't raised to need like that. I don't know where I got this idea because my dad didn't really teach me this, but I got the idea that I don't admit that I'm sad and I don't admit that I'm hurt. I don't admit that I need stuff. I just get over it, suck it up, and come on. How many of you were raised in that kind of culture? But I began to just say to God, God, I don't know what's happening, but I know this is designed to discourage me and distract me. And now I know why, because I'm supposed to encourage you. And the truth is, you can't encourage if you're not encouraged. And so the enemy, before I could ever start, was trying to discourage me so that I had nothing to share with you. And the truth is, we're called to be encouragers. But some of us are discouraged. And I want to tell you that the best thing you can do when you're discouraged is press into God. And I began to press into God and press into God. And I'm talking like really pressing in with all your mind, heart, and soul, asking God to help. And I felt God coming near saying, son, talk to me. I said, God, I'm sad. And in that moment, I felt him say, I got you. I got you. And there is something completely encouraging when God begins to speak to you. Oh, listen. When, when you feel the presence of the living God begin to draw close to you, it doesn't matter what the enemy's doing. It doesn't matter how many worries you have. It doesn't matter if, if everything's stacked against you. All of a sudden, you begin to feel the encouragement you were created to feel. And that's what I want to share with you today. Some of us are discouraged because we haven't pressed in enough to God. And the enemy has, has secluded us and, and driven us away. And he's gotten us in the forest. And we're getting all worried because we're getting a little lost. And all you have to do is cry out to the living God. Make him your priority. Come to him with a vulnerability and say, Lord, I need you. And listen, the Bible is right when it says, sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Now you might say, pastor, that's, that's just the easy, that's the easy answer. Just press into God. That's what every pastor says. Just press into God and God will take care of it. But you know how few people do it? You know, it's funny that that's the answer, but very few people actually do it. Most people worry. Most people stay depressed. Most people stay discouraged. Most people share it with everyone else. Most people don't know what to do. And yet God is the answer. Let me share with you why God is the answer. First of all, let's talk about what encouragement means. Encouragement is made up of a prefix and a word. The prefix is in. The word is courage. And so it's to cause to be in a state of courage. To cause to be in a state of courage. More specifically, the action of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. Do you know, guys, that God is here to give you strength, confidence, support, hope, faith. He's here to provide all of your needs if you only give him a chance. But more importantly, once he provides it for you, he wants you to go out and help provide it for somebody else. Because the truth is, we're called to be encouragers. And did you know encouragement is powerful? Encouragement is a powerful thing. Encouragement can change your discouragement into joy. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you're discouraged, the best way to get out of it is to start sowing encouragement. See, if you want a friend, the best way to get a friend is to show yourself friendly, the Bible says. If you want generosity, the best thing to do is to be generous. See, whatever you plant in the ground, that's what you're going to get up. So if you're discouraged, you need to start planting some encouragement. Because this, uh, encouragement is powerful. I can show you uh, 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 an example. Me and my, my children, we were on a ski lift, and I was on a ski lift with my son first. And my son and I, we were going up the ski lift and the wind was blowing very, very hard. It was blowing some 40 some miles per hour. And at 50 miles per hour, they shut it down. So we were getting pretty close in this. And, and for this Texas boy, I'm a little nervous because I'm not used to being out there in the mountains getting blown around on the lift, you know. And, uh, and, and I'm looking at Demetri, because Demetri, you probably think, that's no big deal, you know, the wind happens, it's no big deal, you know, you're going up the mountain. And my son tried to encourage me. And, uh, 
if you don't do encouragement right, it's not as powerful. Because his encouragement was, hey, dad, at least if we fall, this is the best place to do it. I said, what do you mean this is the best place to do it? He says, there's no trees around this lift. So if we fall, we hit nothing but snow. And I'm going, that's not encouraging me. See, if you don't do it right, it's not powerful. But if you do it right, it can be very powerful. I'll, I'll explain to you this way. The very next time I'm going up, I'm going up with my daughter, Evelyn. Now, Evelyn is different from us guys. See, we're too cool to just be flat-out encouragers. You know, let, let me tell you how. We're on the lift, and we're having a conversation. Just then, we see this skier and a snowboarder coming down the hill, and the skier wipes out dirty. I mean, just bad. He's coming down full blast. He bites it and he's like, doo, doo, doo. skis go flying off everywhere. He ends up just laying in the snow like, no, like no shame, just laying there. And, and he's just, you know, when you ever, you ever wiped out so bad, you're like, man, I'm not, I just don't even have the strength to get up. Not only do I not have the strength to get up, but I'm wondering if I'm still alive. And then once you figure out that you're alive, then you're trying to figure out if anything's broken, right? And he's just there and his little buddy kind of stops and he's like, and I'm like, and Evelyn starts going, oh my gosh, don't quit, don't give up, that was awesome. She's yelling from the lift above and she just keeps yelling at this guy. And finally the guy kind of looks up and he's like, yeah, that was pretty good. And he's like, yeah, you know, and then his friend starts encouraging him too. Like, yeah, man, get up. Like, oh, that was awesome. I can only imagine. They're like, dude, that was amazing. That was great. He gets up, he starts shaking himself off. He's like totally re-energized because there's something powerful about encouragement. And the truth is we all need it. There's something amazingly powerful. There's also something amazingly contagious about it. When Evelyn started encouraging him. He got encouraged. His friend got encouraged. And I started encouraging him too. Yeah, come on. Before you know it, man, he's like, dude, he feels like, like, like he's ready to go for gold. He forgot all about just wiping out. And the truth is, encouragement is not only powerful, it's contagious. I'll give you another reason. I, I, another way that I realized it was contagious. You know, guys, there's something special about Texas. Come on, how many would agree with that? There's just something special about Texas. It's different from any other place. And for those of you who are not from Texas, you know there's something special because that's why you're here. And it's not just the fact that Texans think their state's better than everybody else's. Not the fact that ours is bigger than everybody else, the, 40, uh, the lower what, 49 or 48. Uh, it, it's, it's just something about its people. The people are friendly and caring and kind. And, you know, I go to Colorado and some folks, they, they, just, they, they just don't get it. They don't get the whole howdy thing. They don't get the whole hello and the wave and the, and, and the being pleasant with one another. And so they definitely didn't get our family making snowmen because they're like, oh, these Texans making snowmen again. Don't you realize, you know, they, yeah, you guys get it all the time, Colorado, but we never do. So when we're there... There's nothing like free fun, right? Especially when you're a dad on a budget. You're like, free fun, man, this is awesome. I don't have to pay for anything. They could just entertain themselves making snowmen. So they make these awesome snowmen. You guys saw them. We got to vote on them, this and that, on Facebook. Well, I'm walking around happy as can be. I'm saying hi to everybody, waving at folks. He must be from Texas. They wouldn't wave. But the more I smiled, the more energy I gave, and the more I, you know, you can't help but go. And they would kind of like, the next thing you know, they're like, hey, yeah, you know, and start. Because there's something contagious about encouragement. Do you know there's something contagious about encouraging other Christians too? I can tell you, I met this young man, tattoos on him, beard hat and pulled down low, straight build hat. I was trying to figure him out. He was trying to figure me out. And we were sitting there and he wasn't talking. Nobody was talking. It was just stone quiet. 
And I thought, man, we need a little Texas flair up in here. We need to start talking to some folks. So I started asking him questions. He started talking to me. Finally, he, I asked him enough questions. He said, well, what do you do? And he had his hands just like that. He goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And I started telling him about this beautiful, awesome church and about my life and about how, how wonderful God has blessed me and how amazing God is and how he's given me amazing children and amazing friends and amazing church and amazing life an amazing opportunity to be here and to experience this wonderful, amazing world. And I'm just, just, just going for it. Next thing you know, listen to me. He says, you know, oh, I was raised in the church. He said, I hadn't been to church in a while, but I was raised uh, homeschooled. My parents had a complete Christian curriculum. I learned how to play the piano. I learned how to play the, the, the acoustic guitar, the electric guitar, the bass guitar, the drums. I played in the worship team since I was this high. And he starts quoting Bible verses. Next thing you know, he's proud of being a Christian. Before long, we're praying together there in full sight of everyone. His whole demeanor changed. He starts talking about, you know what? I need to go back to what I love, playing music. I need to find me a good church. I need to get back in a worship team. I need to begin to honor God with what he gave me because my parents taught me. I said, you were raised right. You were raised right. All he needed was a little encouragement because encouragement is powerful. It's contagious and it's a byproduct of being a Christian. Did you know it's a byproduct of being a Christian? Listen to this. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says, but you are not in the flesh. That means you're not who you used to be. You used to think in the flesh. You used to act in the flesh. But if you are a Christian, you are now in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's the big question. To be or not to be. You're either in or you're out. It's simple, and it has to do with being born again, having received the Spirit of the living God. You go, but pastor, how can somebody be born again? Once you're alive, how can a man enter back into his mother's womb and be born for a second time? That's ridiculous. That's the same question that Nicodemus asked Jesus. And Jesus said this, I'm not talking about being born in a physical state. I'm talking about being born in a spiritual state. And the way you're born in a spiritual state is this. You die to yourself. Jesus said, if a man does not die, he cannot live. What did he mean? You got to die to yourself. Quit trying to be in charge. Quit wanting it to be about you. Quit thinking that, that you can get there on your own. Die to yourself. Relinquish your will to Jesus Christ. Open your life and let him give you a fresh new life. That's what it is to be born again. To be born again means you receive the spirit of the living God. Well, how do I receive that? Well, if I were to give you something, brother, you would open your hand for it. That's how you receive a physical gift. Well, you do it very similar in the spirit. Instead of opening your hand, you open your heart and your life and you say, Holy Spirit, come and take control of me. From this moment on, I belong to you. Some people say, I can't do that. I can't give it up like that. Then you don't know what it is to die. But you will know what it is to die. I've learned what it is to die. And I will never know what it is to die. I will live forever with him because that's what the spirit of God promises. Now listen to me very, very closely because it's right here in this verse. Now, if any man or if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Remember, I told you you're either in or you're out. You either given your life to the spirit and the spirit lives within you or you don't. Or you haven't. Now watch this. If you are a Christian and the spirit lives within you, then you have what Jesus talks about in John chapter 14. And I will pray to the father and he will give you another comforter. Now, now I want you to make a very special connection here. Why does he say another comforter? Who's the first comforter? Jesus. Jesus is the first comforter. Now the word comforter or helper or advocate in the Greek has all of those meanings. Advocate, helper, comforter, encourager. So listen to this. The spirit of the living God that lives inside of you is the encourager. Why not connect with him? Why not let him encourage you? You say, but, but pastor, what, what, what do you mean? 
That's exactly what Jesus says. He says, I will give you this other comforter so that he might encourage you. But you need to understand what needs to happen. Receiving him is one thing. Letting him take control is another. Listen to what Ephesians says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Now, if I went up a verse, in your Bibles, you will see this verse if you go up one to like verse 16. It says, verse 15 into 16 says, redeem the time for the days are evil. What is Paul saying there? He says, make the most of your days because time is ticking away. Men tend to think, humans tend to think we have forever. But he says, make the most of it. Therefore, do not be unwise. That means do what's right now. Don't be unwise. Watch this. But understand that the will, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Now, is, is, is Paul saying, you know, is he only teaching against alcoholism? No. What he's saying is this. He's saying, look. If you live for the world, there's always going to be worldly things controlling you. You think you're in control, but it will be either a love for yourself that controls you, a selfishness, a pride, possessions, alcohol, drugs, something's going to control you. Don't give your control to something from this world. Instead, be filled with the spirit of the living God. Some of us have the spirit, but we're filled with ourselves. Meaning we quench. The Bible says this, do not quench or grieve the Spirit of God. That means let him lead. Because when you, the, the best way to get discouraged is to try to lead and ignore the Spirit of God. When you let the Spirit of God lead and you hear his promptings, you will be encouraged, I promise you. You say, but pastor, I don't know about this. Listen, I'm not telling you something that I don't have to practice. I have to practice the same thing. The Spirit of the living God said, hey, there's been seasons where you have invested in the church. I want you to keep investing in the church, but this season, I need you to draw close to that kid right there. That's what the Spirit of the living God told me. I need you to draw close to your son. I need you to go on vacation. I need you to take time off. I need you to make sure you make that connection and... and and guess what? If I ignore him, I'm going to be discouraged. Why? Because there will be a consequence for that ignoring. But when I hear the spirit of the living God and I say, you control, you lead, you step in, then he adds no heartache to it. He only adds blessing. And so there, do you hear what I'm saying? Some of us need to start just kind of peering into the spirit and saying, Lord, what is it that you have to tell me about my life? Where do you want to take me? Because a natural byproduct of being a Christian is to be encouraged. It's to be encouraged. Well, I don't know, pastor. Well, no, listen to verse 19. Watch this. Do not get drunk with wine, verse 18, in which is debauchery, one verse, verse, version says. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody. That means, listen to me, melody in your heart to the Lord. Meaning, when you're encouraged and the Spirit is leading, it will show up in the way you talk to one another. And you'll speak life over your children. You'll speak life over your relationships. You'll speak life over your family. You'll speak life over your marriage. You'll speak life. And it will begin to flourish. Listen to what the Bible says about this. But I tell you, Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus says about this. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless and useless word they speak. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wait, wait. Jesus said that? You sure that wasn't somebody else? No, that's what Jesus said. Why do you think Paul says, hey, make the most? 
Quit messing around. Let the Spirit take control because every word you say carries power and you will have to account for it. Are you discouraging somebody? Are you encouraging somebody? Are you building them up? Are you tearing them down? Are you having them believe for more? Are you having them believe for less? Are you increasing their faith, increasing their hope? Are you trying to snuff it out? Look, God, God, God showed me this also, again, on the slopes. He was talking to me all the whole time. Now I know why he wanted me to get away, because he was going to talk to me. Sometimes when I'm over here talking to you, I can't hear because my mouth is going. But if I could just be quiet long enough, then God can begin to speak to me. So I'm headed down the slopes, and Honey is trying snowboarding for the, for the second day only, ever. And he's trying to snowboard, and, he's, and the guy put him on his professional snowboarder, because he looked so cool. So the guy that he read, he goes, man, try this. This is awesome. It's the best board we got. Go try it. So, man, he's like, dad, this is way better than yesterday. Oh, my gosh, I'm going so fast. And he's like going down the hills, carving it up. And I'm coming after him on my skis. And I yell out this to him. I said, man, you better watch out because I'm going to take you out. Why did I say that? Because that's what guys do, right? Take you out, man. I go, I'm taking you out. Well, he hears it and he starts freaking out. And he's kind of wobbling. And Demetri, you've snowboarded before and he's a beginner. So he's kind of wobbling. And I zip past him like this and he just, why'd you do that? What kind of person takes their son out? And then his sisters are like, dad, that is so wrong. You are an evil person. You just took out your own son and the whole mountain heard you were going to do it. Now this person's looking at you and that person's looking at me. I'm like, shut up. I'm not. I was just kidding. Come on. How many of us say, well, we were just kidding, but God's saying, hey, use your words better. Quit kidding around. Why don't you build up your children? Why don't you build up your wife? Why don't you build up your husband? Why don't you build up your family? Why don't you take inventory and start using your words to make them really believe? Like instead of going, I'm going to take you out, why not saying something like, man, I'm proud of you. You're doing awesome. Keep up the good work. You know what? You're going to be an awesome snowboarder in no time. You'll be whipping Dimitri. Why do you have to bring Dimitri into it? You know, that's a careless word too. You guys don't know, he's a good snowboarder. I saw a video once, he's awesome. What I'm trying to tell you is, think more about what we say. So God began to talk to me, say, encourage your children. So I began encouraging them, encourage them, and I see them just begin to excel and excel and excel. Because the truth is, we all want to be believed in. We all want someone to praise us. We all want someone, you go, well, I've already known this, but how many times do we do it? So maybe this is a reminder. See, a reminder that death and life are in the power of the tongue, says Proverbs 18. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, you can't share what you don't have. And your, your, your mouth is going to indicate what's in your heart. And if you have discouragement going on, then it's going to come out of here. And it's going to be a barometer or an indicator. It's going to be a, a, a litmus test of, of what's happening in here. And you say, but pastor, but how do I fix what's happening in here? You let the Holy Spirit take over. And he'll deal with the fear. He'll deal with the insecurity. He'll deal with the shame. He'll deal with the guilt. He'll deal with the frustration. He'll deal with anything that's happening. Because a lot of times when we get discouraged, we've got our focus off of the cross and we have it on us. We're worried about our future. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our business. We're frustrated. We don't think we're at, uh, we're, we're, we're performing at the, at the level that we should. And we're being hard on ourselves. And instead, the Holy Spirit is saying, none of that is important. Focus on me and let me give you perspective. Let me give you the perspective you need. You say, okay, pastors, then, then, then you're telling me that my heart is where it's coming from. No, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that in chapter 12 of Matthew. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your, your mouth will indicate what's happening in your heart. Listen to what the proverb says. Keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it springs the issues of life. The mouth of a righteous, of the righteous, is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I can read to you verse after verse after verse. We can just end the entire situation with Jesus' words when he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, but an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, meaning whatever the heart is cultivating and growing is what's going to come out. You say, Pastor, we need to start growing encouragement. Yeah. How do you do it? You let the Holy Spirit to control. So be encourageable. I'm almost done. Be encourageable. What do I mean by that? Well, I know that's not a word. Yeah, Apple told me the same thing. When I put it into my, uh, to my little uh, keynote presentation, it says, starts freaking out. That's not a word. But Jamie's not the only one that listens to uh, gospel music. Jamie played some gospel music for y'all last week. Can I tell you that I listened to some Kirk Franklin the other day and I'm reminded of a word he used and that I heard years ago him use. It's called be encourageable. And so my family and I, we use it with each other and we say, be encourageable. What does it mean? Allow yourself to be encouraged. You go, Pastor, but that's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. Because when you're down, sometimes those that are up that are trying to pull you up kind of tee you off. Can I be honest? Let me give it to you this way. I tried snowboarding one half day, and I had no idea that it would be so stinking hard when you're 46, because it's definitely a young man's game. What I mean by that is they lock you into this board, and when you don't know how to do it, you end up on your butt constantly. I mean, just constantly. You, you go, you go, uh, and you land, boom. And after you take the jar, you got to scoot yourself all the way up. Right, Olivia? All the way up like this. And then you got to... I mean, it's a deep squat. That's what it is. Anyone ever done deep squats? Hurts your knees, hurts your, your hamstrings, hurts everything. And try doing that hundreds of times. <laughs> so by the end of the day, I'm done. And I'm, I'm, my legs and my butt was cramping. I'm not kidding you. This, I was like, this cheek was like, ah. And Melissa comes all cute, skiing around me. She's just skiing around. And she goes, she says this. She goes, oh, baby, you're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, shut up. I want to hear that. See, some of us have that same attitude in church. When we're down on our tail and everybody else seems like they're skiing around us in life, Come on now, their job's going good, their marriage is going good, everything's going good, but we're on our, somebody said butt, yeah, okay. We're on our butts and they come around and go, oh, come on, brother, I'm praying for you. God loves you, it's gonna be okay. You know, just hang in there. You know, and they start giving you all of those Christian platitudes. You're like, man, just shut up. I can't stand Christians. And it's at that time where the enemy convinces us to stay away from church, but that's the one thing you need the most. So my wife noticed that I kept giving her attitude, and she says, hey, baby, be encourageable. Oh, you're trying to preach to me now. So I smiled, and I said, you know what? This is a beautiful time. So what you're being, you're, you're, you're sore and you're cramping up, but at least you can do it. At least you got the opportunity. I mean, look around. It's a gorgeous day. Allow yourself to be encouraged. Allow yourself to change your mood. Because if you can't be encourageable, you'll never be an encourager. See, some of us say, well, pastor, the reason I can't be an encourager because I just speak the truth. I, don't, I, I just speak the truth. That's just who I, that's just who I am. That's what I... I Hey, can I tell you something? Maybe it's not just who you are. Maybe it's you're just, you're just being a big jack. Someone said, don't say that word in church. I didn't say it. That's actually in the Bible, too. 
Some of my guys are like, yeah, say it. No, I'm not going to say it. See, speaking the truth is speaking what God's word says. And when you speak God's word, it encourages people. It's contagious. And that's seen on the sports field all the time. You know, guys start getting encouraged. They start pumping each other up. Next thing you know, they're, they're like hitting each other on the chest, chest bumping, jumping up and down. And, and then they're slapping each other on the butt like, yeah, come on, man, let's go. Can you imagine if we started encouraging each other like that, coming to church and we come on, let's go. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a good thing, man, if we just started just, just. Some of you are going, I don't know about that. Well, next time I see you kind of dragging in the church, I'm going to come up behind you. Come on, baby, get in there. Get in there. Give God your best. Let's go. Let's do this. Talking about sports teams. See, encouragement really does make all the difference in your family, in the church, and in society because it spreads hope. And I want to talk to you about a, this is where we'll end. I want to talk to you about a, a person that's at the top of his game because he knows how to encourage. See, Daniel Cole in his book, The Culture Code, writes in chapter four about this man. He says, a while back, a writer named Neil Payne set out to determine who was the best NBA coach of the modern era. He devised an algorithm and used player performance matrix to predict how many games a team should win. He crunched numbers for every NBA coach since 1979 in order to measure wins above expectation, is what he called it. That is, the number of times a coach's team won a game that measured by their players' skills they had no business winning. He then plotted the results on a graph. For the most part, Payne's graph portrayed an ordinary and predictable world. The vast majority of the coaches win roughly the number of games they should win. So everybody was clustered right in the middle. They win the number of games they should win, given the players' abilities and their expectations except for one. One of them was completely off the chart. Do you know who that was? Greg Popovich is his name. They call him Pop. His players call him Pop. See, Coach Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, he resides alone at the far reaches of the graph, a planet unto himself, said the uh, statistician, under his leadership, the Spurs have won no fewer than 117 games more than they should have won at the rate more than double that of the next nearest coach. This is why the San Antonio Spurs rank as the most successful team in American sports over the last two decades, winning five championships and a higher percentage of games than the New England Patriots and the St. Louis Cardinals, and any other storied franchise. The title of Payne's graph is simply, Greg Popovich is impossible. No one has done what he's done. So then how did he do it? It's not hard to figure out why Pop's teams win, because the evidence is plainly seen on the court. The Spurs constantly perform the thousand little unselfish behaviors and the extra pass, the alert defense, the tireless hustle that puts the team's interest above their own. Selflessness, LeBron James said, is what makes them great after he lost to the Spurs. See, what makes them great is that Pop knows how to encourage the right behavior as a leader. You see, this is in a, in a league that incentivizes the exact opposite. What do we mean incentivizes the exact opposite? Stay with me on this. Eric, Eric Oldman and Christopher Barnes analyzed nine seasons of NBA play and did all crunched all the numbers and figured this out. 
that a person in the playoffs, a player in the playoffs who scores a bucket, it translates to $22,044.55. $22,044.55 every time they make a shot. So what does that tell you? You want to what? You want to shoot. Every time someone passes the ball to a player who makes a shot, they lose $6,000. That's a grand difference between the ones making it and the ones passing of $28,000 plus. So everything is telling you what? Be the shooter, not the passer. But yet Popovich's teams do the opposite. Why? I'll tell you after this. So many times we promote the individual. Oh, LeBron, Kobe Bryant, uh, Kevin Durant. But then we leave out something that's really unique and special, and that's team and team basketball. I sat there and watched this team carve the Clippers up by playing basic, fundamental basketball, and it was beautiful to watch. It reminded me of my era, the way we used to play the Celtics, just smart and great basketball. And I'm happy that we are seeing it in America. You need to appreciate the San Antonio Spurs and this team, well coached. And, and I'm just, sometimes you're lost for words. All you need to do is just watch this team and they'll say it all. If you're a purist about the game of basketball, you watch them play. If you want the glitz and glamour and all the dunks, you maybe focus in on another team. And it's a credit to the organization, the ownership, uh, R.C. Buford, Pop and his staff, and the players. Everybody's in the same circle, and they believe in it. Uh, they're not all seeking a lot of glamour and everything else. It's, it's, a, it's a great way to play the game. The, the players that I'm... Uh, having the privilege to coach have been incredible. And the fact that they allow me to coach them the way I coach them uh, surprises me almost on a daily basis. Uh, it's a great group of people who, I always say, have gotten over themselves. Uh, they come to practice, they play the game, we win, we lose, uh, we go home. And they do it wonderfully. And Timmy is the the guy that's in charge of all that, you know, he sets the tone on the floor for our players and uh, our success. Uh, although all of us have a part of it here, uh, those are the guys that get it done. And they're the most important part of what we do and they've done it wonderfully. And as I said, uh, win or lose, uh, they do it with class and they do it the right way. and dicing the heat up offensively. Just terrific ball movement, but more importantly, it's the body movement. The Spurs, go, they don't get knuckleheads. They don't get clowns. Yeah. They don't get guys with huge egos. They get guys who have to do what they're told to do. And you put it all together, and you're right. It's, it's like, wow, how come people can't appreciate this? Yeah. When you see the Spurs play, they've been together a long time. They know exactly what Coach Popovich wants. They have great spacing, but their execution is second to none. And one thing you learn, you can't outrun the basketball. And San Antonio is great about, I have a shot, but you have a better shot. They break you down with their passes. The San Antonio Spurs, they do what they do. They're going to move the ball. They're going to take the high percentage shot. Popovich is going to call the play. They're going to execute the play. They're going to set picks. They're going to do all the little things, and they're going to win. Nicolo swings it. Here's Corey Joseph and the selfish basketball. How about this? That was like watching the Colts right there.
57th selection in the 1999 NBA Draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Emmanuel Ginobili from Argentina. With the 28th pick in the 2001 Draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Tony Parker at Racing Club Paris, France. to let you see that when he passed it through the guy's legs. The truth is, in a league that incentivizes selfishness, they do the exact opposite. Why? Well, this author says that when he interviewed most of the Spurs, he was astonished to hear that their greatest memory was not winning the championship, but after their worst loss because of what Coach Popovich did. See, in the 2013 season, the Spurs seemed like they were destined to win the championship in Miami when they had the heat down. With 28 seconds to go, they were up 94 to 89. It seemed like there was nothing that could go wrong to keep them from winning. As a matter of fact, the champagne was being chilled, the hats were being prepared, the shirts were being prepared, everybody was lining the, the arena ready for the celebration, and then LeBron James attempts a three-pointer. He's way off the mark, but the San Antonio Spurs were blocking out for a normal shot. He bricked it, which rebounded out they corralled the rebound, give him another shot, he makes it. The Spurs go down, get fouled, and they make one of their free throws. Now they're ahead by how much? Three points. Okay? They go back down. LeBron attempts another three-pointer, misses it terribly again, which makes for another unusual rebound. Chris Bosh goes, picks it up the rebound, and kicks it out to the corner to none other than... Ray Allen. Ray Allen hits the shot in the corner to tie the game up. And one of the assistant coaches said, that wasn't a shot, it was a dagger to our heart. The Spurs in overtime go on to lose. Unbelievable. The odds of them losing were 66 to 1. Tim Duncan is wiped out on the floor. He cannot move. Ginobili is walking around dazed, refusing to look at anyone directly. Tony Parker is sitting on the bench with the towel over his head, said to be sobbing, cannot believe what just happened. Another assistant coach said, we were gutted. Emotionally, we were done. They had already made preparations to go to their favorite restaurant in Miami and celebrate as a team. Everyone thought the restaurant, I mean, the, the, the restaurant plans would be canceled because everybody was in such a horrible place emotionally. Greg Popovich pulls his team together and he says, I want everybody quickly, as quickly as you can, get on the bus, we're going to the restaurant, we're gonna celebrate. What? He says, get on the bus, we're going to the restaurant. He, he jets to the restaurant to beat everybody there. R.C. Buford, who is the general manager, sits and watches Pop begin to move tables and he moves the tables and he brings them closer together and he pulls everybody in close with all the players in the center and all their loved ones around the, the edges of them. He wants them in like a family. And then he begins to order appetizers and bring out wine and he opens a bottle of wine, he pours himself a glass and he's ordering appetizers, getting everything just right and he collapses in his chair and he looks devastated. R.C.'s watching him and he says he just takes a sip of wine, sighs deeply, stands up, puts a smile on his face, and gets ready to receive his team. 
And as each one got off that bus with their heads hung, he met them there, touched them on the shoulder, touched them on the elbow, hugged them, put their hands over. His coaches say his motto is hug them and hold them. Let your players know you love them. And he hugged them, he held them, he, he put his arm around them, he walked with them, he joked with them, he went all night from table to table to table encouraging and encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. And that made all the difference. Most players say it was that night that we became a family or we remembered that we were family. They went on to lose that year. But how many teams can go right back to the finals the following year after taking a terrible defeat like that and literally thumped the New York Heat, I mean the uh, Miami Heat, and totally dismantled them, not only with their passing, not only with their team defense, not only with their amazing offense, but after that, LeBron James was done. He went back to Cleveland. The super team was done. Why? R.C. Buford said, I saw Pop, and never before had I witnessed in sports something so amazing as I did that night. When his team needed him most, he encouraged them, and this is what he said. He said, he filled their cup. You know, that's a Christian term. I don't know if Popovich is a Christian or not. I don't know. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fill each other's cup. As you leave here today, let Jesus fill your cup. Because you can't fill somebody else if you're empty. But sometimes when you feel empty, you got to stand up, put a smile on, and start filling your family's cup. Fill your family's cup. Fill your church's cup. Because God wants you to be a difference maker in this world. I love you, Foundation. With all my heart, I love you. Can I pray for you? Father, there's some folks in this room that need their cup filled. And Lord, you know exactly who and what. And as the pastor of this church, I ask you, Lord, to draw near, to come close, to stand nose to nose and to have a conversation and remind them of how much you love them and care for them, Lord. Give them the courage to share their heartache with you and and together, Lord, begin to mend, restore, and revive. Oh Lord, do what only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Encourage. In Jesus' name, amen. Foundation, you're the best. I love you. There is no one like you. There is none beside.